Uh, we are in a series here at City Church called Things That Jesus Never Said. Things Jesus Never Said. It may seem odd for a church to talk about stuff Jesus never said when there's so many important things that he did say. But what we believe is that the words of Jesus are so powerful, so impactful, so life-changing, so revolutionary that we want to make sure we get everything we can out of them. And sometimes as believers, we can get a little too accustomed to the Word of God, a little too familiar with the Word of God, where if we're not careful, it starts to lose its impact. It starts to lose its edge, and so simply coming at it from a different perspective can breathe new life into it, can allow us to come with fresh eyes and see something there that perhaps we have been missing. Last week, I told you that I had an internal struggle for today over whether we would talk about things Jesus never said about eternity or things Jesus never said about the end times as we finish our series. So I'm excited to tell you today that we resolved that tension by simply stealing a week from our next series. We're going to do both. Uh, so today, we're going to do things Jesus never said about the end times. Next week, we're going to close the series with things Jesus never never said about eternity. It might look a little bit like Christmas in here next week, but we won't start our Christmas series until the following week in December, uh, but I think that's okay. We can still have it look a little bit like Christmas while we talk about things Jesus never said about eternity. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew, or excuse me, chapter 24. Uh, Matthew 24. Uh, Jesus has a conversation here with his disciples, which we're going to primarily focus on today. Now, when we talk about the end times, there's a lot of feelings that some of us may immediately feel. When we start talking about the end times, some of us might immediately feel afraid, concerned, right? Like there's, there's some fear associated with the end times. Some of us might immediately just be intrigued. Man, we love this stuff. Uh, we eat it up. We, we, we enjoy this. And so we're leaning in and we're excited. Some of us might feel a little overwhelmed. And there's so many symbols and so many statements and I don't know what to make of it. And this guy says this and this guy says that. And that person says this and this church believes this. And how can I even begin to know what to believe or what not to believe? We're not going to answer every question about the end times today. In fact, as you discover, there's a lot of questions about the end times that I don't think we can even settle until we get there. There's a lot of things that scripture is not fully clear about. But I do want to give you today six things Jesus never said about the end times. The vast majority of what we know about the end times actually comes out of Jesus' mouth. Uh, conversations he had like this one here in Matthew 24. All, a lot of it in the vision that he gives to the apostle John, which we know of as the book of Revelation. Uh, then little bits and pieces here and there from other spots. There are some other things we know scripturally about the end times. There's some end times prophecy in the Old Testament. The prophet Daniel especially uh, gave us some information about the end times as well as some other prophets. There's some things that Paul teaches us in his letters about the end times. So scripture talks a lot about the end, about how are things going to happen that have not yet taken place. 
So let's look at some things that Jesus didn't say that will hopefully give us some understanding of what he did say. First of all, I want to just preface this with a verse, Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5. Jesus, as he starts this conversation with his disciples, he says that, this. He says, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Buckle up, right? Watch out. Watch out what? That no one deceives you. In other words, when it comes to this topic of the end, things that are still to come, there's going to be some deception. There's going to be some things, some, to use the phrase of the generation, there's going to be some misinformation. There's going to be some fake news about the end times. And so Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. And I think it's interesting he says no one, not just that the enemy doesn't deceive you. Because I believe there's actually going to be people inside the church that bring deception on this area. And I don't even think that means that everybody is intending to be deceptive. Right? The enemy can use a lot of different means. And so he may use a pastor who's well-meaning, who's well-versed, who's well-studied, who gets off in a certain area. And that could include me, by the way. And so what I'm going to do today, I'm going to give you some things that Jesus didn't say. We're going to look at some things that Jesus did say. I'm going to share with you towards the end of our message what I actually think is going to happen. This is something I've never done talking about the end times, okay? I'm going to give you my opinion. But I'm going to make sure you know it's my opinion. This is not the word of God. This is not thus saith the Lord. I am not prophet Troy Souden, okay? This is just my best understanding, which is probably wrong. Uh, and I think when it comes to the end times, that's the attitude most of us should maintain, that, man, we're going to hold these things very loosely. See, there are things that Scripture says definitively and confidently, and we hold on to those tightly. We don't let those go. There's other things that Scripture speaks in symbols and riddles and ways that we're not 100% sure about. And when those things come, man, we're going to hold on to them loosely because we want to walk in humility with an understanding that somebody else may be right and we may be wrong when it comes to this. The church down the street, the denomination over there, whatever it might be, may have a better interpretation, but I'm still going to give you mine because sometimes people ask for those things, and as a pastor, I'm supposed to have an opinion. So I'm going to give you mine. I'm actually good at having an opinion. It just might not be a good opinion. So we'll get to that. So before we do, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, in Jesus' name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. In other words, that as, as the day approaches of Jesus' return, these false messiahs, false prophets, are going to rise up more consistently. It says many are going to come and say, hey, I'm him, and they're going to deceive Many. In our generation, we haven't seen a ton of this. We've seen bits and pieces. It's usually somebody who is completely delusional and has very little influence, right? It's usually like some, some murderer says, well, God told me to do this because I'm, I'm coming back as Jesus. And it's like very easy to write that person off. Every once in a while, somebody rises up who claims to be someone significantly like David Koresh. Uh, back in the 90s, there was this individual who, who said he was Jesus, and he built a whole, com uh, whole, whole compound to house the people who followed him, who believed he really was the Messiah. Spoiler alert, wasn't him. He wasn't Jesus, right? Uh, like, uh, they, they were wrong. And so Jesus says there's going to be more and more of these people, and they're going to deceive many people. Why? Because we are hungry for something significant, aren't we? Because there's something in our DNA. We are wired to want to be part of something. 
And if we're not careful, if we don't stand for something, right, we'll fall for anything. So Jesus has given us the church. He's given us this this thing that carries out the message of hope to the world, that carries the, the gospel to the lost. But if we're not careful, if we don't sink our teeth into that and grab a hold of the mission he's given us, we're going to grab a hold of somebody else's mission. And we're going to be deceived by somebody else who comes and says, this is it. So before we get into this, let's just preface it with what he did say. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. So let's not be deceived. All right, six things Jesus never said about this end times. First of all, Jesus never said we would understand everything. Sometimes you may encounter someone or find somebody on TV or on YouTube or, or in some church who they think they've got, they can tell you every piece of this. This is what this means, and this is what this means, and this is who this is, and this is exactly what is going to transpire. And every time I hear one of those people, my, my radar goes up real quick, like, okay, let's slow down. I don't think anybody has this all figured out. I don't think anybody has this mastered. When I was in Bible college, we were so young and dumb and arrogant and prideful to think that we had it figured out. The, the most common belief when I was in Bible college, believe it or not, and this sounds so hilarious to even say, is that Arnold Schwarzenegger was the Antichrist. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even 100% sure how the students landed on Arnold. Uh, Maybe it's because he said, I'll be back. I don't know. Uh, But for some reason, uh, they thought that Arnold Schwarzenegger literally was the Antichrist. They had narrowed it down, and he was going to be it. I don't don't think Arnie uh, is the Antichrist. Uh, In my lifetime, I have seen people very confident that Barack Obama was the Antichrist. Donald Trump was the Antichrist. Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist. I've seen people very, very confident about a number of things. When I was a a little kid, there was a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Return in 1988. Uh, And now we can call that 88 Reasons Why You're Wrong, right? Like, uh, Jesus didn't come back in 1988. Not too long ago or a decade ago or so, there was this guy, Harold Camping, who had narrowed down the date of Jesus' return, and he had billboards all over the place, and Jesus is coming back. And he didn't. And so the danger of these things is when we boldly, confidently proclaim something that we can't boldly, confidently know is we send the message to the world that it's all a bunch of BS. Is it okay to say BS in church? I just said BS in church. <laughs> Some of you are like, yep, I'm out, right? Well, that... Can I just be real? That's the message we send. When we start telling people, we have this thing figured out, and inevitably we're wrong, the world just says, yeah, they got no clue what they're talking about. So we need to stop saying stuff Jesus didn't say about the end times and center on the things that he did say about the end times, because otherwise we're going to just keep making a fool of ourselves to the world, and more importantly, a fool of our Savior. And we make him look bad when we go out and boldly, confidently proclaim these things. I'm not saying we can't have theories. I'm not saying we can't have ideas. I'm not saying we can't even raise some warning flags and say, hey, I see some things over here with this person or with this group that are scary. And there's some traits that we need to be aware of. I think those are, are wise things to do. But we can't just go out and say, this is what's going to happen if it's not what Jesus said. Because if we do... We again and again give the church a black eye. 
We misrepresent who Jesus is. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 24, 36. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Can we all just say loudly and clearly, no one knows? No one knows, knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Here's the thing about the Father. He ain't telling. He knows. He understands what's going to happen. He has foreseen it. He is fully aware of when this day is going to come, when the appointed time is going to be. But he is not, he's not even telling Jesus. This is the only, by the way, only recorded thing we have in Scripture that the Father knows and Jesus doesn't. It's the only time the Bible ever says that there is one member of the Godhead who knows something that the other members of the Godhead don't know. This is a very significant declaration. Jesus himself says, nobody knows, says, I don't even know. And if Jesus don't know, Harold Camping don't know, and that prophet on TV don't know, and that guy who wrote that book don't know, right? None of us knows. And it's okay not to know. Right? I think some of us, we get so anxious, we have to have it all figured out. we got to know exactly what's going to happen. And we got to, man, there's this anxiety over the end times. But if God the Father won't even tell Jesus, it's okay for us to be in the dark on this. It's okay. We don't have to have it figured out. We don't have to know every little detail and every little piece of what's going to happen. We serve a God who tells us everything we need to know, but he doesn't tell us everything. And that is okay. If you can take one thing away from today's message, I hope that it would be peace in not knowing everything. That was a hard thing for me growing up, man. I wanted to know it all. I wanted to have it all figured out. I wanted to have it all mastered. And the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that I don't know. And the more I've become okay with what I don't know. Jesus doesn't even know. If Jesus don't know. That doesn't mean Jesus is somehow weakened or lesser. It just means he doesn't need to know. And he's going to know when the appointed time comes just as we will. We'll know at the right time. Second thing Jesus never said about the end times is he never said that we would be gone for the tribulation. Right? There's this very popular theory in Christianity called the pre-tribulation rapture. You may or may not be familiar, but essentially the idea is this. That in the end times, there are going to be seven years of the rule of the Antichrist. Seven years of this individual who's going to rise up uh, and and have rule over either the entire world or the majority of the world. The Bible's not 100% clear. Uh, And that this individual will rule for seven years. The first three and a half years will be peaceful. Uh, The world will look at him as this this hero, as this person who instituted world peace, as most likely this person who who brought peace between various religions. Uh, And and they're going to worship this person. And, and man, this person is going to be idolized across the globe. And then this person is going to do something despicable, something horrible, about halfway into their reign, three and a half years in. And the Jews are going to realize, hey, this is not who we thought they were. Uh, This is not the Messiah. This is the opposite of that. So the Jews are going to reject this individual. uh, And at that point, this person is going to start this massive persecution uh, and and cruel, awful reign. 
And so there's this theory in Christianity, a relatively young theory, young, it's about 150 years old, uh, that Jesus is going to rapture his church at the beginning of the tribulation, that Jesus is going to come for Christians. Um, if you're familiar with something like the Left Behind series, you're probably familiar with this idea, uh, and that, man, when Jesus comes, he's going to... All of a sudden, all these Christians are going to be gone. We're going to be taken into heaven. We're going to be safe and at peace uh, and rescued and spared from the rule of the Antichrist. Um, Jesus never said that. Here's what Jesus did say in John 16 in his final conversation when we talked about last week. Uh, final conversation he had with his disciples before he went to the cross in John 16:33. In the ESV, it says this way. It says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation. So Jesus says, you're going to have trials. You're going to have troubles. You will have tribulation. Uh, so Jesus never said you're not going to be here for the tribulation. I know for some of us that, that jacks up our theology really hard. Uh, for some of us, that is a very hard thing for us to accept. We have received this idea that, man, we are going to be spared from any trial, any trouble in the future. Um, I don't think that Jesus said that. In fact, I think the overwhelming evidence of what Jesus said is you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to suffer things for me. You're going to go through things. Uh, over and over again, Jesus gives us those warnings. Um, not the most encouraging thing I've ever heard from my pastor, right? Jesus never said we wouldn't be here for the tribulation. Well, there is some good news as well. Number three, Jesus never said we would be here for the tribulation. Uh, so if you want to stand on these seven years and that we're going to be spared from it, Jesus never said uh, that we would be here either. We don't know that for sure. He said you'll have tribulation. He didn't say you'll be here for the tribulation. Uh, well, let's finish out that verse in John 16, He says, I've said these things to you that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So, yes, there's going to be tribulation. Are we going to be here for it or not? We don't know. There, there's some really good scripture that suggests we won't be here for it, that, man, suggests, hey, we're going to be gone and we'll be out of here and some good scriptural principles. There's some really good scriptural principles that say, hey, we are going to be here for it, we being the church, we being the people of God. There's even some that suggest, hey, we're going to get raptured halfway through. We're going to be here for the first half but not the worst half. Um, I don't think anybody knows. I've studied this. I've read through it. I've looked at it from every angle. I was raised in a very specific belief. Man, I believed in the rapture. I believed we were gone. Um, I, looking at all the scriptural evidence, not just the stuff Jesus said, but all the stuff the Bible says, I don't think we can be confident one way or the other. And I'll talk to you when I talk about my opinions a little later on. Uh, what I think we need to do with that. Why do I think that the Bible is gray on this thing that we so badly want to be black and white? I mean, we so desperately want to know, would we be here for this or not? Jesus never said, we won't be here for the tribulation. Good news is Jesus never said, we will be here for the tribulation either. He just didn't talk about whether we will or not. Number four thing Jesus never said about the end times is Jesus never said it's going to be easy. 
right? He never said life's going to be easy. We've looked at that. We've looked at how, uh, man, the things that Jesus never said about having bad days or bad months, like the reality is Jesus never promised we wouldn't suffer years, decades even, right? Jesus never promised we'd never go through anything. We'd never face any challenges. Jesus never said following him would be easy. So let's put this in the context of his conversation with his disciples about the end times. Let's go to verse 15 in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says this. He says that when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel. So this is the event that's going to happen three and a half years into the Antichrist reign. Halfway through his reign, he's going to do something in the temple of God in Israel, which, side note, the temple isn't built right now. The temple has to be rebuilt for this to happen, so it's one of the reasons why I can confidently say, unless my interpretation of Scripture is completely wrong, uh, that Jesus isn't coming back today or tomorrow. There, there are some events that have to transpire, that have to take place. Uh, there, there's another reason why I can confidently say that. Jesus says that the whole world is going to hear the gospel. Uh, and there are a number of people groups, a number of tribes on earth right now that still have not heard the gospel. And there are people, man, relentlessly attacking that. We had some here just a couple weeks ago from Overland Missions. Man, their goal is to take the gospel where it's never been heard to the hardest, most remote places on earth. Why? Because everybody deserves a chance to hear about Jesus. Because everybody needs access to the gospel. And so I believe Jesus has not returned yet because everyone hasn't heard yet. Uh, so we have a part to play in this, uh, in, in getting the word out. So there will be this event at some point in the future where the Antichrist does something despicable, something that the prophet Daniel refers to as the abomination that causes desolation. We'll talk more about that when we get to my theories later on. Uh, spoken up through the prophet Daniel, it says, let the reader understand. Let, let, then let those who are in Judea, Judea is the area around Jerusalem, southern Israel, uh, let them flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Verse 20, pray. Everybody say pray. Pray, pray that your flight will not take place in winter or when it feels like winter or on the Sabbath. For when there will, then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. Never to be equaled again. Jesus never said the end is going to be easy. In fact, notice that his advice here is to his disciples. It's to Christians. It's to followers of Jesus. And so when it comes to the end times, we need to be prepared for some suffering. We need to be prepared for some things to be difficult. And you may be like, that's not what I signed up for when I decided to become a Christian. Understand this, we're all going to suffer. We just get to choose our sufferings. I get to suffer with Jesus or suffer without Jesus, okay? And so when you chose Jesus, yes, you chose to partake in his sufferings. You chose to be crucified with Christ, which is excruciating. There is suffering in following Jesus, but the suffering in following Jesus is so much less than the suffering of not following Jesus, so don't let this scare you away from Christ, but perhaps for some of us, it needs to sober us a little bit in our faith. It's not always going 
to be easy. It's not always going to be prosperity. A time is coming, and I don't know if this is our generation. I don't know if you'll experience this. I don't know if I'll experience this. I don't know if my kids will experience this. I know every generation of Christians has always thought they were the one. We've always believed that it's going to be in our generation, and it hasn't happened yet. So I don't want to be ignorant of history and naive. I also think when we read the tea leaves, we can definitely see things matching up, that things are advancing and moving towards this point. So we need to be ready one way or the other. We don't know if it'll be for us. We don't know if it won't, but it might. So Jesus never said it's going to be easy. Number five thing Jesus never said is Jesus never said, be afraid. Please hear me on this. Because I know when we start talking about, man, praying that it's not going to be winter and praying that you're not going to be pregnant and, man, how awful it's going to be and how terrible it will be and there's going to be suffering unmatched at any time in human history, we will immediately go to a place of fear. That is human nature. That is natural. That is normal. But understand this. Jesus never said, I want you to be afraid of this. He said, I want you to be ready for this. He told us not to scare us, not to scare people into heaven, by the way. This isn't the point of this is that, man, we tell other people so that, man, they get so fearful of what's going to happen that they, man, okay, I guess I'll try to follow Jesus because it's less miserable than anything else. Jesus was talking to his followers. I need you to be ready so that you're not, your faith is not shaken. You're not thrown off if things get rough. Here's what he did say, Matthew 24, going back to the verses we started with, but going a little further. Jesus answered, he said, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Jesus' goal in this was not to scare people. It's not to freak you out. It's not for you to go out of here today and panic about the end. It's not for you to go build a bunker and start ordering all the freeze-dried food you can get your hands on, right, and just go into prepper mode. And I'm not, if God calls you into prepper mode and you're led into prepper mode, I, I think it's fine to be a prepper. Here's what I would say if you're a prepper. You better be a prepper who's preparing to be a blessing to the people around you, not a prepper who's just hoarding stuff to take care of yourself, me, myself, and I. Okay, if you go prepper, if, that, if that's your, your role in this, man, be stocking up with the goal that, man, I want to make sure that we can take care of others, that we can be a blessing when things get ugly, whether it's the end times or whether it's, you know, the economy collapses or whatever else it may be. Um, so that would be my, my side note when it comes to being a prepper, all right? Uh, but the bottom line is this. Jesus says, I don't want you to be alarmed, Okay, this is not hellfire and brimstone and everybody freak out mode. This is the reality of I need you to be prepared for these things. I love you enough that I'm going to warn you there's some dark times coming, but it's not all. It's not the end. It's just a little while that you will suffer through these things, and there's some great things on the other end. In John 14, is this conversation as Jesus is going to the cross, he tells his disciples this. He says, peace I leave with you. You ever thought about that? Jesus left peace with you. Some of us need to just receive that today. Jesus, I receive your peace. You know that peace, side note, peace is, is a characteristic that is assigned to all three aspects of the Trinity. 
All three persons in the Trinity are, are described with this word peace. Jesus is the king of peace, the prince of peace. God is the God of peace, referred to numerous times in Scripture as the God of peace. The Holy Spirit bears fruit in us. One of those fruits that the Holy Spirit bears in us is peace. So when we look at the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and all three pieces, all three aspects of the, the Godhead, we see peace as one of his defining characteristics. Jesus says, I leave with you peace. Somebody needs to receive that today. Somebody needs to grab a hold of that today. Jesus has left us peace. When it comes to the end times, I want to speak peace over your spirit and over your soul today. Yes, we need to be ready. Yes, we need to be prepared. Yes, we need to be aware. We shouldn't be ignorant. We, we shouldn't look the other way. These are things Jesus warned us of, so we should be aware of them, but we shouldn't be afraid of them. Jesus left with us peace. He says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Everybody say, do not be afraid. afraid. Look at the person next to you and preach it to them. Do not be afraid. Some of you are afraid to say that. Um, so we're going to work on that. We're going to get through it. Uh, again and again and again, Scripture teaches us to not be afraid. It's the most common command in Scripture. God's people are not people of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Jesus has instead left with us peace. Peace. So we're not going to get afraid of this, but we are going to allow it to help us prepare. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number six thing Jesus never said about the end times. Jesus never said everyone will make it. Jesus never said everyone will make it. Matthew 24, 12, it says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Talking to Christians. Talking to Christ followers. Man, when this stuff goes down, he says the love of most will grow cold. Christians are going to fall away. The Bible calls it the, the great apostasy, the great falling away, that there's going to be a time that comes when a lot of people that call themselves Christians, a lot of people that we go to church with, a lot of people that, man, celebrate the name of Jesus, they're going to say, you know what? I'm out. This is too much. This is too hard. I'm not moving forward with this. As a pastor, this is one of the verses in Scripture that breaks my heart. This is one of the statements that Jesus has made that, that tears me up inside. To know that there's going to be followers of Jesus, people who are Christians, who when the testing comes, when the squeezing comes, are going to say, nope, this wasn't for me after all. Now, we can debate, were those people ever really Christians? Were they ever really saved? There's all kinds of theological debates that get in. I don't think really that matters. What matters is this. you got to make a determination. That ain't going to be you. you got to decide in your spirit 
God, I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care how unpopular. I don't care what they label me. I don't care what they call me. I don't care what they do to me. I don't care what I have to miss out on. I am with Jesus every day of my life. We got to make a determination in our spirit and in our soul. And it's easy to make that choice now when it's easy. Right? It's easy to say that, yeah, I'm never going to fall away. Right? Peter's, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And 24 hours later, he's denied Jesus three times. What's this mean? It means we got to stay close to the Savior. Jesus says, abide in me. Abide means live in me day after day. Find your strength in me, your nourishment in me. Be in me. And if you abide in me, he says, I'm going to abide in you. He says, the day is going to come when, when there's going to be some pruning. There's going to be some branches that get cut off that don't make it. And as a pastor in 21st century America, this is what keeps me up. Because I don't want it to be any of my people. I don't want it to be any of my sheep. I don't want to answer to God one day that I did not warn you, that I did not prepare you, that I did not help you get ready, that I did not lead you to a place where you are so in love with Jesus and so confident in Jesus and so intimate in Jesus that nothing could shake you. I saw a quote yesterday that, that fired me up. I believe it was Leonard Ravenhill, but he said that he who is intimate with Jesus will never be intimidated by man. How do you have a faith that will last, that will endure, that will push through persecution, that will push through the great apostasy, that even when people on your right and on your left are falling, that you will emerge on the other side victorious with Jesus? The key is that you got to have an intimacy. You just got to be close. Because, man, if you're close with Jesus, if you're intimate with Jesus, the intimidation of man is not going to have an effect on you. But if you got a surface relationship with Jesus, if you got a, we used to call it a, a Sunday, Wednesday relationship with Jesus. Now it's like a one Sunday a month relationship with Jesus, right? Like if, if you got that relationship where it's like, man, I, I pop in from time to time. And I'm not saying you just, church is the definition of your relationship. I'm saying that's the only time you come. That's the only time you're, you're engaged with God is whenever you're in church, whether that's once a week or four times a week or once a month or whatever it is. But if this is all you have, it's not going to be enough. It's not. And that's not because of any great failing at City Church. City Church is not a perfect church. There's no perfect church. No church is enough. To give you everything you need to hold on to Jesus without you taking some steps on your own. You got to grab a hold of this. You got to desire that intimacy for yourself when it's not easy. When we don't have an incredible worship team putting together an amazing worship experience. Man, that's to give us a taste. That's to, to whet our appetite. That's to celebrate how good God is. But we've got to be celebrating him on our own. Quiet in City Church today. I know, it's not my favorite thing to preach about either. I wish I could just preach about positive stuff, but that's not all the word of God teaches us. And I love you too much to keep my mouth shut. Just do. I love you. And I want what's best for you. I want you to be victorious. I want you to be one who survives. What does he say? He says, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So what's going to happen? 
let me give you my opinion, and then we'll close with some things that I know will happen. First of all, let me say this. Ask me tomorrow, and I might tell you something different than I tell you today. So the first thing you need to know about my opinion is that it changes. Uh, it has changed over time, and it will probably change again. Here's my best understanding, my best guess, connecting dots. If Jesus were to return in our generation or the next generation, this is how I think it would play out. I think an antichrist will rise up, and he's not going to be known as the antichrist, right? Like, he's going to be known as whoever he happens to be. Um, and he's going to make a name for himself, I believe, primarily by unifying faiths. Uh, I believe he's going to be this person who comes in and probably the way it's going to work is he's going to bring Muslims and Jews together. Through, through centuries, Muslims and Jews have, have hated each other, have warred against each other, uh, and this person's going to come and he's going to be the one who brought peace to the Middle East. He's going to be the one who brings these two faiths together and the world is going to be like, whoa, we didn't think it was possible, but you did it. And he's going to sound really good. He's going to have some things that, man, that are very attractive to our human nature. Um, I think there's also a possibility that some branch of Christianity will get rolled in there, perhaps Catholicism. I don't know that for sure. I don't know any of this for sure, I should say. Um, but it would make sense, Catholicism, because it, it's represented by one leader. It's, it's a unified branch of Christianity, whereas Protestantism is all over the place, and there's pros and cons to both of those. Uh, but in this case, it, it would be much easier. You can't really unify Protestant Christians. <laughs> we can't even agree about, like, how to baptize somebody or how to do membership. Or we can't agree about nothing. Uh, so it's going to be really, really hard uh, for Protestants to get rolled up in this, which will be an advantage in this moment. Um, but Catholics are a much more unified branch. They have one leader. If that one leader were to say we're going over here, the rest of them would follow. Um, and so uh, I think you're more likely to see some faiths come together, whatever those may be, almost for sure Islam and Judaism, potentially some branch of Christianity as well. And that, hey, we all worship one God. Man, he's the same person. Uh, and, and it's going to seem so beautiful and so peaceful, and everybody's going to be like, how did we not do this before? Uh, and then at some point, halfway through, uh, he's going to do something in the temple. Side note, the temple, like we said, doesn't exist right now. Uh, where the temple in Jerusalem belongs on the Dome of the Rock, there is an Islamic mosque. Uh, so there's one of two things that has to happen. Either the mosque has to be torn down and the temple has to be built, or what I think will happen uh, is that the location of the mosque is not exactly the, going to be the location of the temple. Some archaeological discovery, something's going to happen to, to realize that, hey, the temple actually goes right next to the mosque. Uh, and this is going to be a piece of the unification of these faiths that, hey, we can worship on the same mountain and worship the same God with these two locations right next to one another. Uh, and then the Antichrist is going to do something in the temple where all of a sudden the Jews say, whoa, that was not okay. And that'll be the abomination, abomination that causes desolation. That'll be when the, the, the eyes of, of the Jews are opened. Uh, Hopefully the eyes of more than just them, but that's when the great persecution will start. Now, the tribulation involves a few different aspects. So the tribulation involves the enemy pouring out his wrath on Christians, 
Uh, the reason why he hates you is because he hates God. Uh, and he's already realized he can't get to God. He tried. He, he killed Jesus, and that didn't even work. So, so now it's like, it's like every comic book story, right? Like when the villain can't get to the hero, what does he do? He messes with the, hero, the people that the hero loves. So you're the one that the hero loves. You're the one that Jesus loves. So since he can't get to you, he's, or get to Jesus, he's coming for you. So the enemy's going to pour out his wrath on believers. God is going to pour out his wrath on the sinners, on, on the wickedness of mankind, on the brokenness of man. Um, and then the earth itself is probably just going to fully disrupt uh, the Bible says that the earth itself has been groaning for restoration ever since Adam and Eve, ever since sin entered the world. That's why we have earthquakes. That's why we have famines. That's why we have hurricanes. His earth itself is broken. All of us are broken. God's design is not enacted. And so earth is groaning for restoration back to God's original design. And until that happens, we're going to continue to see natural disaster. We're going to continue to see pandemics. We're going to continue to see sickness, disease, cancer, AIDS, all this stuff is the groaning of the earth. So there's three aspects here. There's, there's the enemy coming after us. There's God going after sin. And then there's the earth just pretty much the, the same groaning that has been taking place. It's going to crescendo. It's going to come to a climax. And so there's going to be all this destruction, all this devastation, all this pain from three separate sources all happening kind of simultaneously. So the Antichrist is going to rule for seven years, uh, and then there's going to be this temporary period of world peace at the beginning. Then there's going to be this, this massive tension as, the, as Israel rebels against the Antichrist, as perhaps others rebel against the Antichrist's reign, bringing us to ultimately the Battle of Armageddon where Jesus is going to come and defeat the Antichrist's army, Satan's armies, etc. Then there's the mark of the beast. So most of you are probably familiar with this term, the mark of the beast. Uh, I know there was a lot of people, uh, a lot of videos going around during COVID that the COVID vaccine was the mark of the beast. Do not get the vaccine. Uh, if you get the vaccine, you are not going to be able to go to heaven. Uh, if you're not familiar with the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast is the, this idea scripturally that the Antichrist is going to take over the world economy. And in taking over the world economy, he's going to simplify it. He's going to make it convenient for you to buy and sell. And the way that you're going to do that is you're going to have a mark on your right wrist or your forehead. It's going to tell people that you are allowed to participate in this global economy. Uh, and that's the way that's going to work. And so Jesus says, don't get the mark. And if anybody that takes the mark, man, you're, you're receiving the mark of the Antichrist. You're, you're picking teams. You've chosen a side if you receive the mark of the beast. So, was the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? I hope not. I got the vaccine. Uh, so, uh, that'll tell you where I stand on that. I got vaccinated. Uh, I got vaccinated pretty early on. Uh, I want to make sure that I can go to hospitals, that I can minister to people, that I can love on people who are sick, people who are hurting. Uh, and so, I made the decision pretty quick. Like, I'm not going to let this thing keep me from getting to people who need help. Uh, so that was the choice that I made. Um, I have not gotten any of the boosters. Uh, so if you need my personal information on the vax, that's where I'm at. Uh, so I got the vax. I don't believe it's the mark of the beast. Why do I not think it's the mark of the beast? First of all, it didn't go on my right wrist or my forehead. Uh, secondly, it did not have anything to do with a global economy. Thirdly, the Antichrist is not in power. There's a lot of reasons why it's not the mark of the beast, okay? Uh, does that mean that it was 
the right decision to get vaccinated. I've gone back and forth on that. We can have that conversation another time. Uh, but the, it's not the mark of the beast. If you got vaccinated, you're not going to hell. Let me just say that. Uh, not, not because you got vaccinated. You might not know Jesus, uh, but that your vaccine is not going to affect your eternal status. That I'm confident about. I guess that's things Jesus never said about eternity. Uh, but anyway, uh, so... Mark of the beast. Let me get back on track here. Uh, I do believe if, if it were to happen in our generation, the next generation, sometime fairly soon, it certainly makes sense. It's microchip technology. Uh, the technology exists for them to implant a microchip into your body. Uh, this is being done and it's been tested a number of places. Um, you understand the, the convenience that that would provide. You don't have to carry a debit card. Nobody can steal your money, right? They're, the way that they can package this to get everybody on board, there's a great sell. All you got to do is take this chip, and now every time you go to the store, you scan this. Uh, it's very easy. They've also found, and this is another reason why I think it's a microchip, is science has confirmed there's two places in the body that will support a microchip, your wrist and your forehead. That seems to add up and make sense uh, when we look at Scripture as far as that mark. So here's what I would say. You want to get vaccinated? Get vaccinated. You want to get a microchip? Don't get a microchip. Uh, I, would, I would highly encourage you not to get chipped. Um, I can't say that every single person who's getting microchipped is not going to heaven. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm sure there are tests and stuff that's being done ahead of time that those people still have a chance to meet Jesus. I would just steer clear of that. Uh, I, would, I would be very cautious uh, about getting a microchip. Um, Especially if it's packaged as, hey, this is the only way that you can participate, that you can buy, sell, and trade. In that case, 100% do not, absolutely not, please, for the love of God, do not get that microchip uh, if that were to happen. These are things, some of the things that I think. If I had more time, I could share with you some more opinions. I'm sure there's some other questions. Um, I do think the church will be here for some, if not all of this. Uh, if, I, if I have to bet, like I'm not super confident but if you want to nail me down, Pastor, what do you think is going to happen without the rapture? I think if there is a rapture, it's at the abomination of desolation halfway through, um, or that we're just here for all of it. My, my reasons are a, a number of scriptures, um, but principle, a lot of times people will be like, well, God didn't create his people for wrath, and this is when God's going to pour out his wrath, and that's true. But if we look at the plagues in Egypt, God poured out his wrath on Egypt, but he spared his people. While his wrath is being poured out. Uh, so our God is very capable of pouring out his wrath on people who are targeted, uh, on people who have rejected him, on people who have chosen something other than his best uh, while sparing his people. Um, and so that's where I land. You do not have to agree with me to be part of City Church. This is not like a flag that I fly. This is something that we don't talk about hardly ever because I know it's so divisive and I think it's so silly that it's divisive because none of us knows and it makes no difference. It should make zero difference in the way that we live. Whether there's a rapture, whether there's not, cling to Jesus. Whether there's a rapture, whether there's not, tell people about Jesus. Whether there's a rapture, whether there's not, be ready to meet Jesus at any moment in time because you could take your last breath today just yesterday in our thanksgiving mission ob we knock on an individual's door and it turns out that this person has passed out they had to call an ambulance we don't know today if this person is alive or taken he did pass wow thank you yesterday we knocked on the door to find an individual who's not with us today 
The reality is any of us can meet Jesus at any moment. And so whether there's a rapture or not, whether we're spared from it or not, Jesus promises there's going to be persecution. He promises there's going to be suffering. I don't know if we'll be here for that suffering. I hope we're not. Man, as a a dad, I really hope my kids don't have to go through that. I hope and pray that we're not here for that. But if we are, let's be ready. Because I don't know if we will or if we won't. Here's what I do know will happen very quickly as we close. Number one, Jesus wins. If you want to stand on something about the end times, here's what you need to know. I know who wins, and his name is Jesus. He is victorious. He will win. He will win total victory, not partial victory. He is going to win. Hallelujah. Second thing I know about the end times is that the church is purified. The Bible says that Jesus is going to return for a church without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. And I don't look forward to persecution. I don't look forward to suffering. But I know this. If we study church history, every period where persecution increases, man, the the passion of the church increases. We don't handle prosperity well. The reality is when, when things are good, it becomes very easy for us to wander, very easy for us to lose focus. And so when things get bad, whether it's our generation or 10 generations from now, a generation is coming that the church is going to walk in a purity that we've never seen. There's a part of me that does want to be part of that generation, that wants to be part of a generation of believers who love Jesus, who cling to Jesus, who know Jesus, who are intimate with Jesus. There's a part of that that's very attractive to me. A day is coming when the church is going to be purified. Jesus is going to win. Number three, because the church is purified, revival breaks out. The world is going to see there's something about these Christians. It's what we saw in the first century. It's why Christianity spread at the very beginning is in the midst of persecution, in the midst of martyrdom, in the midst of cruel, vile, evil, wicked murder being committed against the people of God. All these other people start becoming Christians. It doesn't make sense. The kingdom of God isn't supposed to make sense. It's upside down to our human understanding. And so for us, we think, man, if things are worse for Christians, nobody's going to want to be a Christian. But the reality is every time Christians go through persecution because we produce or the persecution produces a faith in us that is so genuine and so real and so radical. The world says, I need that. I need it. So revival is going to break out. There's going to be a massive amount of people come to Jesus at the end who wouldn't have otherwise. Why would God allow all this stuff to happen? Because God loves people. And he so desperately wants them to come to a saving knowledge of his son, Jesus. So he allows this suffering to take place because he knows that people are going to choose him. Now, here's the important thing for us. Let's choose him before the suffering. Man, let's not wait until we have to. I don't know that we're going to be here. I don't know that we'll be a part of that. I don't know that it's going to be in our generation. I don't know a lot of things, right? There's a whole lot of this that I don't know. There's more of this that I don't know than I do, but I know Jesus wins. I know the church is purified, and I know revival will break out. Those are things I am confident in. Those are things we can be confident in when it comes to the end times. The biggest takeaway for us is simply this. Just be ready. Just be ready. Be ready to meet Jesus. If that means that that there's a habit in my life that doesn't look like Jesus, that means instead of 
punting it down the road instead of waiting until after the holidays, waiting until my New Year's resolutions or the Daniel fast or whatever other thing that I put it off for. It means today I deal with it. Today I get right with God. Today I choose Jesus over anything else because I want to be ready to meet the one who died for me. And the amazing thing is the more that I cling to him, the more joy it produces. The more peace that I walk in, the more that I cling to him, the more that I choose his way over my way, the greater that I feel, the more fulfillment I find, the more purpose I walk in. My life becomes better the more that I choose him. Amen? Amen. So choose Jesus. Would you pray with me?